Edition of Moped Outlaws. Great Get Fuck yeah. Episode 62. Will you still need me? Will you still feed me when I'm 62? And a Jew. And the end of the episode. <laughs> the recording has ended. <laughs> uh, uh, well, so we were just talking about Anthony Jeselnik and how fucking funny he is and how I know uh, dark. I watched two of his specials back to back because it was so deliciously dark and funny. <laughs> and I felt kind of like I was watching porn. I didn't want anybody to see me watching it. <laughs> Kathy walks in and sees you laughing at what, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, it's, it's funny, dear. Uh, <laughs> Mm. Yeah, and, and I'm celebrating the fact that I tested negative for COVID for the first time in 12 days. So, so this yay. morning was the first time you tested negative? Yeah, wow. since my initial PCR test. Wow, that's funny. Oh, my God, that just reminds me of this funny um, Instagram <laughs> post. I saw someone, <clears throat> it was like in a CVS or Walmart, and there's the tampon, tampax section, you know, whatever. And on top of one of the boxes is a birth control test. And the caption said, I feel good for her saved at the 11th hour, you know, or something like that. In other words, she went in to get a pregnancy test. And while she was there to buy it, she got her period. So, she Oh, I see. I see. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what today's episode's about, period pains. Right? Something we know uh, a lot about. Yeah. Because we live with it every single day. No. It is hard to empathize with that. I mean, if if, uh, men bled through their penises every, you know, 28 days, it'd be a different world. Yes, it would. Yeah. And the uh, hygiene products would be designed differently. I just yeah. don't see myself putting anything made of cotton into my wee hole. I can't believe how quickly this has gone south. <laughs> <laughs> literally, literally. I was thinking more of like little diaper heads. Little diaper heads. That sounds like a bad name. <laughs> little diaper heads opened for green peppers. <laughs> yeah, the and idea of putting pepper. anything in the, my urethra sounds horrible. And yeah. uh, and women don't do that. Let's just like show that we're not completely ignorant. <laughs> we're stupid <laughs> enough to talk about this as if we know something, but we're not completely ignorant. <laughs> what is more ignorant the fool or the fool who follows that's right what a classic star wars saying i wonder where they stole that one from 
Yeah. yeah so um, I'm still alive. Yeah. And, and I'm you feeling can better. taste, but your sense uh, of smell is. My sense of smell hasn't come back, and my equilibrium's a little bit better. I got on my bike and went for a short ride today and realized, yeah, there's still some recovery that has to happen. Like to get my stamina back is going to take some time. But yeah. Um, and not just for me, like it was a couple months of, like I told you, you know, I'd have four days of feeling great and going, all right, finally through it. And then all of a sudden a day would hit and I'd just be like, uh, yeah, I'm going to be all lost. Why do I feel shitty? I'm going to think. Exactly. Yeah. And then I'll be like, oh. yeah, I know. You're like, is it, am I old? Is that what's happening? Am well, I yes. Old? <laughs> Older. And. Uh, Yeah. Mostly what I'm looking forward to is there's this, um, like when I get bad colds, I notice that when my voice finally comes back, it's actually sweeter. Like having been a singer for a long time, there's this thing like right now, if I were to sing, it would be, uh, you know, more of a gravelly bluesy kind of thing, uh, with a little nasally as you can hear, but there's this renewal of all the tissues that happens, you know, our bodies process that stuff out and then they, they grow themselves. So, you know, I'm looking forward to picking up my guitar and singing some songs in a few days and testing the waters out. And I missed two rehearsals with the upbeats and, uh, that was sad. And, but you know what I realized is (laughs) I like sleeping in (laughs) what, Speaking of Star Wars, I heard R2-D2 in the background when you just spoke. No, that wasn't R2-D2. Really? It was just a beep. It sounded like R2-D2. It sounded like... Mm, Probably not. But nonetheless, it was the dark side of R2. (laughs) His shadow. Hey, do robots have shadow selves? You know, that question came up um, in... A conversation I was having one day at work with some people when I worked back at Lucasfilm and it was like, can, can, um, droids feel or sense or be involved with the force? You know what? That just reminded me of that. Um, what's his name? Dick CK Dick. Is he the one who wrote the three things about AI? You know, the three rules CK Dick, is it? I think that's right. And Terminator, I think, came from his book. Anyway, one of his titles was um, Can Android Stream? Oh, no, it was. Um, yeah, you, you, know, you got it. Hair, ah, it. Ah, like teardrops in the rain. What was that? Gosh, darn. Are you ready? Thing. No, wait. Okay, I'll wait. I, I want to get this. Should wait, I sing the, the Jeopardy about, theme? Are you what? ready for that? Yeah, ding, 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 ding. What is the fucking movie with Harrison Ford? Oh, well, that's crazy. called Blade Runner. And yeah, that's you're right. It was That was retitled. The original title was The Thing You're Trying to Remember, which I can thankfully... No, it was have, it Can Android Stream. That was the no, it's Do book. Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. That's what it is. That was it. Thank yeah. You. Yeah. And uh, I've, been, I've been thinking about... Um, watching uh, Blade Runner 2046 just to see it again. It's been a couple of years since I saw it, and I really enjoyed it the first yeah, time. It was really good. Yeah. I'm fact, also looking. 
for me, it it broadened what I remembered of the first film. I was like, oh, I didn't even kind of realize that was going on in the first film. Yeah, it's one of those sequels that that really lived up to the promise, yeah. uh, in my view. I agree. And of course, it wasn't the same. It was totally yeah. different, right? right? But it still lived up to the promise. And I and, love uh, how Jar Jar Brinks was brought into the storyline and kind of healed that whole thing that happened in Star Wars. <clears throat> Jar Jar Binks was not in um, Blade Runner 2046. Oh. <laughs> nice try, though. <laughs> I think I've told you my Indiana Jones origin story. We will spare the audience a repeat of that. Okay. But I've also been thinking about watching Indiana Jones 4 because I know Indiana Jones 5 is coming out. I just <laughs> threw up into the back of my throat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, oh well. Oh my God, that's like that's like a spinoff of Jar Jar Brinks. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. Well, Misa Hayden crunching. <laughs> I love Jar Jar Binks. I think he was a wonderful character. He still is, and uh, especially in the Clone Wars, his character development really goes um, a lot more sophisticated into in the Clone Wars animated series, and you can begin to see his brilliance. Um, a little bit more. Nice. He's also kind of responsible for what happens with the emperor because he's the guy that starts the vote of no confidence with um, Emperor Valor, um, Chancellor Valorum. Hmm. And that's what leads to Palpatine becoming emperor. So it's a mixed bag with Jar Jar. We can blame a lot on him. It's kind of like Goyam, you know, um, Gollum, Gollum, how he yeah. I was going to say, Goyim is something else. <laughs> <laughs> is that the Jewish Lord of the Rings, Goyim? <laughs> I'll have the Goyim. Side of Goyim, please. <laughs> Gollum. One ring to rule them all. And one ring on fire. Um, yeah. Gollum. The other thing I've been doing is watching all kinds of stuff. While I was sick with COVID, I, I yeah. even... One of the greatest films, and I still have about a third of it left to watch, is Jackass 4.5. Oh, my God. That's crazy. Those movies are just stupid. <laughs> totally stupid. But And I hate myself for laughing, but I laugh. <laughs> so. They are crazy. God, those guys have put themselves through hell. Physical yeah. harm. It's fun to watch them because at the beginning they talk about how they're going to hire some new talent. And what that really means is that the two main guys, Steve and, and uh, the other guy, I uh, can't remember his name right now, but yeah. they end up like not having to be in a bunch of the stunts. They're like, they facilitate the stunts and stuff like that. They're not yeah. exactly the ones who have to do it. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I see. I see how this works now. When you, when you get high enough into the jackass hierarchy, um, you get to tell people a little bit more about what to do and uh, not get your ass handed to you, you know, but by the same token, Oh my God, like he was on uh ridiculousness and they were talking about all the hospitalizations that he had and all of the broken bones and the various like things that have been happening. Right. The main thing that I, I God, I hate to bring this up again, but here we go. They did a thing with hot sauce Yes. Have you seen that? No. So 
one of the first test stunts they do to see if they're actually going to go through with the movie is they pour really hot hot sauce into funnels into their anuses. <laughs> and it made me think of the, uh, the episode we did about um, Hot Kitty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Talk about the shadow side. <laughs> right? I got an idea. <laughs> Let's try this. Yeah. Oh, boy. The things what we do it? for love. and Or to laugh. <laughs> or because we're stupid and bored. Yeah. Because imaginations. That's the interesting thing. You know, I was um, watching an interview with a woman. Her name's Dr. Adhi, A-D-H-I, two owls. And um, this one thing she said is, I noticed when I listened to my ego, now I'm going to paraphrase, but in essence, she said it doesn't bode well. It usually doesn't go well. And um, very interesting woman. <clears throat> and... Um, I'm currently experiencing where there's this person who's come into my life and I feel very romantically inclined to. And then I also see the push me, pull you of like, should I call? I shouldn't call. What am I feeling? And watching myself get all wound up into a knot of negativity, which is, yeah, I think you should wait till they get their high school diploma. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> Have you seen your daughter, baby, standing in the shadow? Um, anyway, <laughs> I'm actually super curious about this, but um, <clears throat> there's, there's so much of trying to do it right that goes into this. Right. You yeah, know? exactly. That's what I was. And, and I was looking like, where's that come from? It comes from wanting to... <clears throat> in essence, like capture something or hold on to something. Right. It's a form of grasping. It's also right. a form of insecurity. Yep. Absolutely. Right? Yep. Um, yep. Because when you can just allow it to be whatever it's going to become, it's right. much more pleasant for both of you. Right. 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 If she's going to pour hot sauce in my anus, let it flow <sighs> in essence. Yeah. I think that would be uh, a big step forward in your relationship. <laughs> 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 too hot to handle. Um, but here's the th interesting thing, because you asked earlier about my mom's passing, and it's still in process. Um, had an interesting experience. I was talking with uh, the woman who did the interview with Dr. Adi uh, Tuals. And, you know, so there's this whole spiritual realm. And as you well know, there's a part of me that <clears throat> questions it. You know, are, are we just making this up to feel good about the inevitability of death. But I mentioned to this woman, cause she's like a friend that my mom was passing and she said, Oh, I'm getting like, she's here with me. And I'm like, okay, yeah, right. She goes, did she call you Gregory? I'm like, no. And um, <clears throat> I said, she called me Greggy. And she said, that's what she said. Greggy. What is that? <laughs> and I was like, and so, you know, here's this individual that she wouldn't call me Greggy of her own. Oh, poor COVID Mark has just been muting and choking and muting and coughing, spreading COVID throughout his sacred space like a like a Chinese laboratory. <laughs> so 
you've got this person who wants to be a medium, but seems a lot more like a charlatan, a wannabe than an actual no, medium. No, no, she's she's on point. See, I knew like the, if I told the truth of that, but I could tell in my conversation that what happened is she heard Greggy, but it didn't make sense to her. And so Got she was it. like, so she was like in her head going, Gregory, is that like, did she call we you? We started talking about this spiritual stuff as if it might be kind of something we made up. Right. And then there's this whole thing about how mediums can be charlatans to try Absolutely. and, and right, create right. a monetary source for us. Right. Um, Just like I mean, there's what, real politicians and char- charlatan politicians. Politics has been on my thoughts a lot. Well, wow, you keep changing the subject very rapidly. I know. We are going to be bouncing. We are this is the bouncy ball. Don't land anywhere. Talk about Mark Golden Bear went. More coffee, please. More coffee. We can talk about all of it at once. Death, politics, and spiritualism. They, they all intersect at the nexus of the human sauce. shadow. They all intersect hot at the sweet. nexus of the human shadow. Fuck yeah. Yeah, Bring it! yeah exactly. That's exactly Have right. you seen your mother, baby? Standing in the shadow. Yeah. So this is not your first coffee, I suspect. Oh, and he drains it. It is. For those of you who My cannot see coffee. us right now, he just poured a giant mug down his gullet. Oh, no, I he's now more. wishing for more. You know what I did to this one is I put a little maple syrup into it. So oh, that, that's yeah. So sugar and caffeine. That's right. Yes. Very good. Very good. Yeah, I was drinking apple cider soda. That was what I was drinking. That's very sad to me. <laughs> it very much helps my pH and my alkalinity. <clears throat> you know what helps my PhD? Um, fluffing. College credits. College credits. <laughs> okay. I don't have one. All right. Where are we going? Where are we now? <laughs> we are in a morass of multiple vectors of subjects from spirituality, politics, and the shadow, and the thing we haven't said yet, which is going to be way better. What is the thing we haven't said yet? We'll know when we get there. We are in a labyrinth of chaos and madness. It's like we've pulled over on the side of the road. We're looking at a road map that's 20 years old, wondering where the fuck are we? We and put up the kickstand we and we've still got the throttle engaged. The wheels are spinning, but that's we're going right. nowhere. <laughs> we're looking at our phones that are dead in the water because there's no cell service. If we pop the clutch on this baby, we'll do a wheelie. Yeah. You know, I wonder, have you, what do you call that bar that's in the back of a chopper? You know, that's way up like the. Uh, well, it's very politically incorrect. Really? It's What's called it called? a sissy bar. Really? Yep. In case you're afraid of falling off the back, that's what it's there for. All right. So like the Hell's Angels, when they put one of those on their bikes, they go, hey, why don't you weld on one of them badass sissy bars? Well, I don't know. I don't want to speak for the Hell's Angels. That can be hazardous to your health. But <laughs> I have heard them refer to that, and I haven't had a nice long conversation. Can we call a friend? Do you know any Hell's Angels that we can call? 
No, but I'd be willing to speak with one because there's so many rumors about who they are and what they're about. You know, well, like, that's because that's because there there's so many different realities of who they are. Well, that's probably true. So uh, Wikipedia shows it as a sissy bar. Okay. A sissy bar also called a sister bar or a passenger backrest. Oh, in addition a, to the rear of a bicycle. That sounds like a fucking democratic piece of bullshit. That allows the passenger to recline against it while riding. Alternatively, it can serve as a place to put your handcuffs during sex. No, it doesn't say that on Wikipedia. Yeah, it does. <laughs> they can serve as one of the main mounts securing the rear. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to mount her rear. Hey, wait oh, a minute now. <laughs> over the years, the sissy bars have been a focal point of expression of the bike builder. Custom sissy bar designs can be simple or extravagant. They can be built for comfort, purpose, style, or a combination of all three. Hey, did you ever get into the bicycles that lowriders, you know, modify into rad fucking... Like, if you look up lowrider bicycle... Well, I've uh, seen them, but uh, you're asking me if I'd ever gotten into them. Yeah. And the Not truth is. Not necessarily own one, but just sort of been enthralled by what they are. Uh, well, I think they're awesome. I've seen some that really rise to the level of works of art. Yeah. And I think that the whole culture of vehicle as art, whether it's cars and lowriders or custom rods, and then, well, I'm, you know, sp- particular to the Latinx community, this idea of, of really bringing stuff into an artistic place is part of what you drive. It's another layer of the way they look at style and the way that they look at, you know, this idea of how we project ourselves is beautiful and has power and grace and stuff to it. And so I've always appreciated it. I mean, I had a Schwinn Stingray when I was a uh you know, 10 year old, nine year old with a banana seat with the high handlebars and the banana seat. Yeah. Yep. yep. It was a lot of fun. And I used to try to jump stuff with it and the handlebars would always go. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you could certainly do wheelies a lot easier with yes. those handlebars, yeah. you know, and the goosenecks always got stripped out. Right. Yeah. Yep. Did you ever go move into a motocross dirt bike, you know, like bicycle? Uh, I dabbled with it a little bit because I had some friends in junior high school that were actual BMX riders and racers. And I went to see them race a couple of times. And um, at that point, I'd really moved into my skateboarding phase and I wasn't that interested in BMX. Um, but, you know, I tried a few crazy things on them once. My friends and I used to build dirt tracks for our BMX bikes. And I think I told you, like, one of the jumps I went and landed on my front tire, rode for about 10 feet on the front tire, and then, bam, right over onto my head. That's an interesting trick. Like, I've seen that done um, on skateboards more readily. But um, what they can do on those acrobatic bikes now is just phenomenal. It's like a whole other world. It's acrobatics. It's, you know, it's Olympic level as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And the guys that do it with motorcycles, too. It's like, oh, gee. Yeah, have you seen there's um, the guys who are um, like black gang members and they have the three wheelers 
and there's this like on Instagram and stuff. I see out like riding a wheelie for like on a freeway, like forever, just, you know, on and on. And, and they're like these. In fact, I think there was a documentary about like this kid who wanted to join them. And, um, well, I've seen short form video that has people doing lots of wheelies, but nothing as specific as you described it. There's yeah, it's like a thing. Yeah, I believe it. It's kind of like the Compton Cowboys, like this thing that brings unity, family off the streets into sort of a positive, but, you know, still got a little bit of that outlaw vibe to it, you know, like, yeah, we're not. Yeah, it's edgy, edgy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, That daredevil part of us that wants to kind of be bad and get away with it. And also wants to do something that no one else is good at, right? It's like, look at me. Vroom, vroom, vroom. Oops. Oh, no. Come well, visit I, me in the hospital, please. Look at me here. Yeah, that's part of it. That's part of pushing the edge. Well, and that's what the Hells Angels, you know, started out as. Not necessarily as motorcycle acrobats, but like people who wanted to live by their own standards and, and, and travel the country in a way that suits them. And wasn't it post world war two? Like that's, it was started off with a few vets, like a Barker. What's his name? Sonny Barker. Barger, Barger, Barger. Barger. Yeah. I don't know what the history of the hell's angels is. Honestly, I think know that they were involved in grateful dead and concert stuff in the sixties. It says here that they originated on March 17th, 1948 in Fontana, California. He just passed away June 29th. Yeah. This year. Sonny Barger. Yeah. 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 And I think it was, it started, I think you're right. It was, they were, um, Hell's Angels were a B-17, um, fighter, were bomber pilots, that's where it started was that the hell's angels was um, a particular plane. And there's a Howard Hughes movie about the fighter pilots from it. But uh, yeah, Ralph Sonny Barger was the founder of the Oakland charter and Fontana, Oakland, San Francisco were, you know, some of the early ones. And then it went on to Chino Pomona. Um, I think also that, that TV series, that came out about four years ago. Um, I forget the name of it, but they wanted to call it hell's angels, but of course they wouldn't let them. And, but it, it was about a motorcycle gang that commits murder and runs drugs. And um, the current spinoff is, you know, the, the Hispanic version of it. Oh, right, right. I, 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 There's something about the outlaw spirit, right? It's part of what we're into here is this idea of doing what we want and coloring outside of the lines and claiming our individuality through this action-based motion of seeing the world and the feeling the wind in your hair and the freedom to, you know, have the wind on, you know, uh, be on two wheels and ride around you know, um, <clears throat> well, I think that's our ultimate spirit is free and we desire to live that way. We desire to live freely, you know, that just 
I think any individual without <clears throat> whether they're believe in God or spiritual or they don't everyone that's like a common thing is freedom the desire for freedom well and you know motorcycle clubs and outlaw clubs like the hell's angels there's a kind of ethos that goes with that that's about serving your community about being accountable to something greater than yourself so it's both freedom and being part of something you know that's where the angels part comes in it's like we're gonna we're gonna agree to do stuff that most people wouldn't have the courage to to own up to wanting to do we're not going to let ourselves be shackled by the judeo-christian framework we're going to do stuff that's a little edgy or a lot edgy and then we're going to back each other up because we know that once we're out there on life's edge we need each other to, to like rally around and protect each other and keep each other safe and have each other's back. Well, Sonny's last words, his last sentence that they posted on Facebook is keep your head up high, stay loyal, remain free, and oil always value honor. Yeah. Right. That's pretty solid advice right there. It is. There's a, something about the the motorcycle club ethos that is part of the zeitgeist of Americana. It's, it's got a shadowy underbelly too. Like they, they'll take the law into their own hands. Justice has, has a different feel and look to it when it comes to motorcycle club justice. And when with all we've learned about justice in the United States from a black perspective, like I think outlaw and I, use that term loosely, but outlaw motorcycle clubs and black people probably are a lot closer in unity to their look on the justice system of federal government and local governments. Well, I'd say that's a stretch. Like um, there doesn't seem to be a lot of famous people of color motorcycle clubs. The Hells Angels tend to be pretty white. Right. There's a kind of white supremacy that probably lives within the framework of the Hells Angels. I don't know. I don't think I I think there's probably that in individuals in the club because there's just those people are on our planet. But I've heard Sonny. I read one of his autobiographies or biographies or. um. I don't think I I know there's black hell's angels. Well, I mean, it's going to be the exception that proves the rule, right? It's not it's not well, What I'm saying prevalent. is that they both I believe they both look upon the justice system of the United States of America with a lot of um, trep- not trepidation, you know, like a lot of um, distrust in it. Like, we don't really think you're here to protect and serve us. <laughs> okay, so it says, according to this, that black people are not allowed in the Hells Angels. Where did you see that? I'm looking it up on the internet. 
You're seeing it on their website? Um, it's an, a kind of, uh, it's a PDF. It's a PDF file talking about demographics. And there's something called the one percenters, um, black motorcycle gangs. But that one of the rules of the Hells Angels is you can't be black. The Hells Angels have never had a black member, despite not being a racist club. So that's what they're saying. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so it, it appears as though, based on a cursory internet search, that it's not something that you can be. It's hmm. a black hell's angel. Right, right, right. And then, because, yeah, I see here, there's a quote from Sonny Barger. If you're black, you want to join the dragons. Right. And that's how it is, whether anyone likes it or not. We don't have no blacks, and they don't have no whites. But they are officially allied with the Aryan Brotherhood, which is a neo-Nazi white supremacist gang. So, Really? Uh, yeah. Hell's angels? Yes, absolutely. They're uh, white supremacists, yeah. for sure. Huh. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, which is, you know, there's a lot of separation around, you know, racial identity, right? So there's black motorcycle groups, there's Hispanic motorcycle groups. It's another continuation of this sort of divided. So weird. Yeah, I don't know. That's a little strange for me. Yeah, they're headquartered in Oakland, so they could likely be hearing us. Um, and it, yeah, it's there's a whole lot of information synthesizing it all into uh, <clears throat> the Department of Justice considers them an organized crime syndicate, right? Right. Um, and there's the thing that's interesting is there is a lot of myth. Like I know Hunter S. Thompson's book where he went undercover, like joined their gang and then wrote the book. And from what I've heard, he made up a lot of stuff. That's their take on it. Yeah. Of course, who knows for sure. I guess, you know, just to be, as I sit here with where we're at, where we've landed, I don't really care to the degree, like, I guess I do have curiosity, but I certainly don't have a desire to, join their gang and get into that. I get, I don't know. I don't know. You know what? I just, I'm taking back what I just said. I'm going to join. No, I'm not. If you, what you're saying is real about them being aligned with the white supremacists and, you know, not allowing people of color into the club. I'm, that's not a club I really want to be a part of. Yeah. Well, um, they're part of what we sort of talked about having this conversation about. There's a shadow aspect to them. They are acting out a kind of darker aspect of themselves, right? Which is, you know, this not law bound. They're not bound by convention. They're bound by their oaths to themselves and oaths to others and their honor, whatever that means. And what's the, where's the honor in being a racist motorcycle right. gang? Right. right. Well, I mean, what I noticed in my own life 
was that I was scared of them. And then when I actually interacted with members of the, the gang or members of the motorcycle club, there was a kind of um, respect that came up. And so, I mean, one of the stories is that, you know, my mom and my dad and my mom's boyfriend, at one point they sold basically everything they could. We, they were renting and we packed stuff into a couple of vehicles and me and my sisters went camping in Northern California. And the idea was we were going to find another place to live. We we're going to move into some Northern California town. And so what we would do is we'd roll up and we find a campground make camp, the adults would go into town and buy supplies and kind of scope around looking for jobs, looking to see what the vibe was like. Right. Well, in one of those campgrounds, we were like there on a Thursday and it was almost empty. And on Friday, a whole fucking bunch of motorcycle gang members showed up and rolled in and took over the camp. And I remember how loud they were and how raucous they were and how, you know, actually how much fun it was to have them all around and to feel all of that excited freedom. Like they were partying hard. Right. And, um, my parents were not too, uh, happy about it, but they also weren't in a position to like break camp and run away. So we made a big pot of chili and we shared it with everybody. And, you know, um, they kept my sisters and me kind of out, out of sight, <laughs> um, for most of the weekend, you know, but I remember the vibe and I remember because I'm white, there was a kind of openness to me, right? Like I could go and look at the bikes and they'd be like, Oh, what you like them, huh? And, and, but don't fucking touch it, touch it. I'll kick your ass kind of thing. Right. Like there's that whole sort of duality right, to it. And, right. You know, this was 75, 74, 75. So, you know, the most. You know, that's, what's interesting about that, I just saw the, uh, an, the similarity between their bikes are sacred and sacred tomes and religions, you know, like in the Jewish religion, the Torah you actually use a pointer to follow along the text because you're not supposed to touch the Torah with your hand. Right. So this element of sacredness, the untouchableness of sacredness. Well, and a man who, you know, builds a bike that's of a certain caliber, he has a certain respect. He's faster. You know, when it breaks down, it kind of, it reflects on him. You know, that he's not very, you know, it's back to that sort of Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance kind of thing where it's right. like being in one, uh, knowing what's up with your bike and being able to fix it yourself. And, you know, that whole thing. Uh, and, you know, there's a reason that they're considered a crime syndicate, right? Yes. So, right. and they did security at Altamont, which tells you a lot about which how, went really wrong. Right. Really. <laughs> but for a long, and long that time, was, um, the Grateful Dead's brilliant idea. Um, it actually wasn't the Grateful Dead's idea. 
That's what I heard it was. Yeah, well, there's a couple of good books about the Altamont concerts, but... All right, whose idea was it? Well, I, what I'll tell, talk about is that when Ken Kesey first started doing things with um, out in La Honda, parties at his house with the Grateful Dead, for about the first six months or so, the Dead and a bunch of Bay Area proto-hippies and... Um, Oh, that's right. The Hells Angels were... They showed, they up. showed up at a couple of those, right. and they yeah. got dosed. They got heavily hit with acid, right. Right. and they they were welcome. Right. And because there was no, you know, schism, no kind of judgment of them, that whole ethos of, hey, you know, we do what we want. We're hippies. We're the Grateful Dead. We're going to get fucked up on acid, and we're going to do what we want. So you guys are just doing what you want, and the whole on the road thing and that the whole he, you know, the relationship of Kerouac and, and this idea of the being on the road, that ethos kind of fit, it kind of dovetailed. Right. So this relationship right. form of mutual respect between the two camps, right? It was like, you know, the grateful dead and the, the bus, the pranksters became friends with the, the hell's angels on a certain level. Right. right, common bonding with freedom and right. And so there were times when it was helpful to be in that position. You know, bus breaks down, a couple of hellish angels drive by, right? Um, right? Amphetamines were also very, very much a part of that culture. So there was probably some access, mutual access to amphetamines that both sides gave each other, weed and amphetamines and beer. Like that's like probably one of the common areas of, of agreement. Right? And they were both on the same side of the law's eyes. And know? I also think there's this thing about polyamory. It wasn't polyamory at the time. We called it free love. But I think there's a kind of thing with with the hippie movement and that it's like, hey, your chick, she can fuck whoever she wants. you know. And if that's me, because I'm a hot motorcyclist, then you better not complain about it. And it doesn't mean I want to like take her away from you necessarily, although maybe I do. Right. It's like they, they, the old ladies is what I think they, that's where that term came from. She's my old lady. No one said girlfriend. Right. Right. It wasn't my wife. Although I'm sure there were some hell's angels that were married. I have a feeling Sonny Barger was, was married, Yeah. but being a woman in that crowd, man, like, I can only imagine the amount of sexual abuse since, you know, that you suffered as a result. Well, even like, I think part of that age, even you, I hear um, stories from the black Panthers that there was a lot of guys doing a lot of talking and blah, blah, blah. And really the women were doing the day-to-day feeding, cleaning up sexual favors. Like there was a whole lot of misogyny in that whole hippie thing. And yeah, cause that was still the hangover from the traditional roles of what men and women were. We, you know, right, just, right. just before the, the real advent of feminism. Right. Yeah. Which is interesting. Cause then with the whole advent of feminism and, I'm currently reading and from Heal Thyself learned a lot about how black women didn't find a place in modern feminist movement because it wasn't acknowledged. The racist aspect wouldn't be acknowledged. And um, so 
What, where does that bring us? Brings us to 21st century, 2022, August, where we're on the verge, on the precipice of just jumping into the fires of hell. You don't see a lot of hell's angels rolling around the Bay Area. There was a time when you pretty much could depend on seeing one on the highway every couple of days, right? Why do you I think that is? Well, probably because there's a lot less of them. And probably because they're not necessarily like we, you and me, we run in Marin. It's not like a known Hell's Angels area. But if we lived closer to where their headquarters were, we'd see them more often, I'm sure. Right. Yeah, what's that big gathering that's uh, down Sturgis? Sturgis. Yeah. The motorcycle conference. of Right. Like I don't even see a lot of in the current photos from that. I don't see Hell's Angels there. We're going to get a phone call. Listen, you fucking dimwits. Well, I'm not going to run around pointing my phone at Hell's Angels and posted it on social media. Ah. It's not something I'm going to do. Come to the shadow, make love in the shadow. And right. But I think that's kind of the desired result. It's like, look, we command a certain level of respect because we will use violence according to our own principles, not necessarily being concerned about going to jail over it. You know, that's one thing I've found in my personal experience of kind of rubbing elbows with criminals here and there, that there's this element of respect and reality. Like you get respect first, like that's where we start. And if you erode it, which will happen quickly, you get the consequences of that. You know, like in other words, um, you were talking about how at the camp, your interaction with Hell's Angels was that there was this aspect of respect for you. Well, and, for a nine-year-old kid. Well, yeah, but that's what I mean, that there's, I think predominantly and there's a bad seed in every bunch you know but predominantly the law of an outlaw is we start with respect that's where we're starting and if you fuck that you get the consequences yeah i would disagree i don't think you actually have respect as a given what you get is uh distance right so you don't get if respect is earned and so if you if you show up and you violate like the no, here, personal space or if you are at all look at them fucked up in any way, then that's not going to you're not going to have respect. The, the respect no, here, comes from being respectful. Respect, I think, starts you have respect. Trust is earned. And respect can be eroded quickly. Like if you go into a space and instantly disrespectful, well, you fucked that immediate respect that was there to be had, but you fucked it. I don't agree. That's Greg. been my experience. Think... That's been my experience with tolerance. With yes, initial tolerance. Yes, while they suss out who you are. I'm not going respect is something else like for the hell's angels to respect you. They would have to see some kind of level of honor and commitment of to craft of your own. You're saying that respect is 
are they using a funnel when they pour that hot sauce into your ass or are they just smashing that bottle right in there and letting it flow? It's an interesting ter- way that you try to term that, but um, I didn't try to, I did it successfully turned it <laughs> yeah. back on itself, bringing us back to that holy place where we started this conversation. <laughs> 50 minutes ago. <laughs> Lordy. That's the thing about getting on the bike and riding wherever the winds take you. You don't know exactly where you're going to end up, but boy, is it an adventure every time. That's for sure. Yeah. I think we should celebrate the idea of freedom and the idea of resilience and the idea of self-determination. And I certainly what? respect motorcycle clubs in general for the way that they've carved out their own sort of social society and and at the end of the day i've seen some generosity from hell's angels and i've seen some brutality and murder have you seen brutality and murder from them yeah with your own eyes that must have been kind of shocking well yeah i mean when you were a part of um, Jerry's thing, like doing the lights and all that, did you ever interact with any Hells Angels? And Not directly as a result of that, no. That was mostly the hippie crowd. Um, you know, I saw stories. There were bikes. Occasionally there were motorcycles, but it wasn't, you know, like the old days where, you know, there was there would be the whole club would show up at the Fillmore and party um i have this question for you as we talk about human freedom and the desire to be free and one of the famous stories of judeo-christian religion is the tree of life and being or was it the tree of knowledge the tree of knowledge being told don't eat the fruit from this tree and so there was a um you know, and a boundary to freedom placed in the Garden of Eden. What do you think that's about? Well, like a lot of uh, Christian mythos, I think there's something there that is part of a set of storytelling that has sort of a guidance at its center. But if we extrapolate, you know, symbolically and hermetically and and what is the tree of life and what is the tree of knowledge? And what's the risk of, you know, eating the fruit of the tree of knowledge? It, you know, it, it's sort of beyond me in terms of my own wisdom what I'll say about it that might be useful is that a little bit of knowledge can be liberating, but it can also be very dangerous. It's wisdom that really matters. And so we can sort of see that having all the knowledge of how the world works from a material science point of view doesn't actually give us the wisdom to maintain the garden of Eden that we were given. So when you think of it in terms of that metaphor, 
we've eaten too much from the tree of knowledge and not enough from the tree of life where we understand the interconnectedness. And we're beginning, you know, we've sort of got that movement is re-arising within human awareness right now. But generally speaking, the tree of knowledge corrupted us because it fed the ego the sense of power, the creation power. But it's unbridled. It's not tempered by the wisdom of, you know, understanding the way it all works together. So by taking things apart and having a little bit of knowledge, we seem to lack the wisdom of, you know, long-term preservation. For instance, the, the sort of indigenous cultural narrative of, seven generations from now and seven gen and we result from seven generations. If you look at, here's just this idea of let's build a spaceship that can travel light years to another world where we could populate that another world. It's going to have water and all the different conditions that we have on earth. Right. The reality is that you couldn't build anything better than the earth to make it through light years of millennia of human evolution. The truth is the earth is the best spaceship we've ever built and will ever be built for the perpetuation of the human race. And the idea of putting us all in a capsule and sending us off to like Alpha Centauri or Sirius A or whatever, so that we can populate a planet. That's pretty much drunk ass thinking as far as I'm concerned. Because what's right in front of us is so much more rich and plentiful, you know. And with the, the, my hope is that the knowledge we've acquired will turn towards the tree of life again. And it will, will reinvigorate our sense of reestablishing the balance in relationship with nature instead of seeing ourselves outside of nature we remember that we, who we really are is a part of nature. Um, yeah. Interstellar travel to me is a spiritual journey. I don't see it as a physical journey. That's my take on it. And so the best spaceship is the right here in our own backyard. And so the tree of life, the tree of wisdom would teach us that and the tree of knowledge is can be such a short-term viewpoint it's like you know what if you gave me a harley davidson and a bunch of tools i could probably take that sucker apart probably not put it back together and make it work right again but maybe given enough time and that's what if I gave you a funnel and a bottle of Tabasco. Uh, Tabasco and a funnel. Well, I wouldn't need the funnel for anything. But if you gave me, if you gave me a bottle of Tabasco oh, and scrambled eggs, if you gave me a, boss, a, ba- a bottle of Tabasco and scrambled eggs, I would use it. That's spiritual bypassing. Did we just experience spiritual bypass? Uh, what's the funnel for again? Yeah. Okay, roll back to minute one. Of our I don't need minutes. it. I don't need to go down that road. I don't, I, you know, the Hershey Highway is not for hot sauce. 
Recording stopped.